This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. If you've got the midweek blues, then uh, it may be a while until you get them, get things right, considering that budget day today and uh, things may not necessarily look all bright. So we'll continue to uh, unpack how things fare going into budget day later today. Tash, are you, are you slightly positive about it? I am. Um, I'm excited for the finance minister. It's his first one. And um, I can tell you he probably isn't as excited, though. No, he isn't. Also because he's carrying a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. Um, Investors are going to be looking out for a whole lot of things. Uh, Ratings agencies are going to be watching that speech. It's a lot of pressure, but he can pull it off if he has, I suppose... They have the right plan for ESCOM, and they can let us know where that, uh, um, where the fiscal numbers sit, or how no, are we looking. Clearly, not just ESCOM, right? But SAA, SABC, all the SOEs. If I think ESCOM is the big elephant. No, in the of room, course, yeah. no, definitely. So we'll get into that, right? We will be chatting about the budget uh, throughout the show in many forms. Uh, we are chatting to Alna Mulman and get to, uh, some of her economic expectations as well. Impact of SOEs as well on the budget and even what business expects. We'll chat to Bonang Mohala, the CEO of Business Leadership South Africa, former CEO as well of Shell uh, as well at 7.30. And the Association of Mine Workers and Construction Union, also known as AMCU, is calling for all investors to disinvest, uh, disinvest rather from uh, Sabania Stillwater. So we'll speak to Joseph Matunja, the president of AMCU, about why, and surely this is counterintuitive if we're trying to bring in investment into the country. How does he see this playing out? So we'll have that conversation. With yeah, him. and it's a big, uh, a big time to sort of look around as well at what, what what is kind of happening right to the top 10 risks facing south africa i can tell you one of those will certainly be about policy and even escom and just how things fare on that ground too all that and more is coming up this is classic business breakfast with MoneyWeb, arabile gumede and Anastasia aronsa on classic 1027 Quick check-in on the market. Stocks in Asia mostly traded higher after U.S. President Donald Trump hinted once again that a closely watched trade deadline in March may be pushed back. The mainland Chinese markets advanced in early trade, the Shanghai Composite gaining 0.2%, while the Shenzhen component rose 0.4%. Over in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index rose 1%. Uh, Those shares there were pushed up rather by the tech behemoth Alibaba, which increased its stake in Uh, one of the companies called China International Capital. Uh, Japan's Nikkei rose uh, 0.8% in morning trade. Over in the U.S. side, Dow Jones climbed as much as 78 points before ending the day up uh, at 25,891. The S&P 500 gained a tenth of a percent to close at 2,779. The material sectors outperformed. The Nasdaq Composite uh, closed 0.2% higher at 7,486 as Amazon and Netflix both rose more than 1%. Over in Europe, the FTSE 100 fell half a percent. The French CAC down three-tenths of a percent. And the German DEX uh, down nearly a quarter of a percent. And over here, the Allshare Index falling a tenth of a percent too. 55,194 points. And the top 40 down a tenth of a percent as well. This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027.
Michael Trahern, Portfolio Manager at Vestact Asset Management, joining us now in studio to get a hold of this market picture. Downward day for the JSC yesterday, Michael. Um, a little bit of nerves see, uh, setting in before the budget? Yeah, it was down 0.1 or 0.2%, so not much of a move. But uh, in terms of budget, the only thing I'm really looking forward to is uh, Tito's opening joke. I think ever <laughs> since the days of Trevor Manuel, who set the bar, uh, bar quite high, the opening joke's very important. Is that going to be the only piece of good news then today? <laughs> That's what I was thinking, is the joke's going to be great because the rest of the speech is going to be very ugly and hard to listen to. Um, but I suppose we have to listen to it. We have to know where we're going to sit. Um, and then uh, obviously what happens with racing agencies, what do they think of it? That's probably more important. Yeah, and, and it's going to be interesting to get the sentiment, perhaps more so out of Moody's because they're the only ones, right, that, that still have us uh, um, just above investment grade. And if they then downgrade us, it means we, we sort of leave a whole lot of uh, uh, um, institutions like the, the City uh, World Government Bond Index and the like as well. So, all right. So a whole lot of that is going to be of interest. And I mean, we'll take a, a look at budget, of course, in, in great detail. But market news Let's start off perhaps with the resource counters. And, and, I, and I say that because later on we'll hopefully chat to uh, AMCU's president, Joseph Matunja, as well. A lot of these companies have actually been performing a whole lot, you know, very well. Yes, perhaps not the gold counters as much, but the PGM space has been going quite well. Yeah, it's been doing really well. And it's, it's, it's the one metal that, you guys, that we don't quote on TV and on radio, and it's palladium. Uh, it's yeah. uh, uh, well overtaken platinum now. And for most of the South African mines, it's almost a ratio of one part, pla- uh, one part palladium, four parts platinum. Um, so it's, it's still fairly significant in the overall taking out of the ground. And the mines that have a better ratio are making even more money. So Sabanya Stillwater, the Stillwater operation, yeah. the, in- the ratio is almost inversed, where it's more palladium than platinum. So they coining it over in the U.S. is a sure. brilliant move there. Um, but in general, I think this highlights the cyclicality of mining stocks. So you have a look at um, Anglo Gold Platts. They increased their cash flow by 60% uh, then when their numbers came out on Monday. Wait, which one there? Anglo Gold or Anglo Platts? Anglo Platts. <laughs> okay, so you said, because you said Anglo Gold Platts. So I was a little, a little worried. Yeah, you know, the platinum ones. <laughs> they increased their, uh, the, their cash flow by 60%. Yep. Um, and it just shows you how volatile things are. But in general, most of these guys are getting rid of non-core assets. I mean, you have a look at Sabanya Stillwater. Um, they happen to be wanting to shed jobs at particular gold mines that aren't doing so well, and that happens to coincide with uh, a strike at those gold mines for three months. Uh, you could look at Kumba, who released numbers yesterday. Their dividend for the last financial year is equivalent to what the stock was trading at. Was it 2015, 2014? Sure. Remember when resources weren't the thing? Yeah. Kumba got down to as low as about 30 rand a, sh- a share. It's now paying a dividend of 30 rand a share. So it just shows you how these things go through cycles, boom and bust. And as an investor, do you have the stomach for these cycles? And if not, um, now might be a good time to sell. I don't know where the top is, but uh, most of these things are up at least uh, 50 to 100% from their lows. What is it? Nearly 10 billion rand then in those dividends being paid out to investors by Kumba. Uh, you've had to toil and wait hard, a long time for this, but certainly beneficial now yeah i mean it's also it's good to see management saying look guys we don't actually need the profits we're making uh we don't see really any place to invest so we'll give you 100 percent of the profits that we've made and obviously anglo the parent company really enjoys having these strong cash flows coming through i mean if you even if you re you rewind to also 2015 with anglo they were selling everything that wasn't uh, bolted down 
because there was a debt problem. They had to get debt under control. Now debt's come down substantially. They're making more cash than they know what to do. Uh, it just shows you again the boom and bust cycle of these resource companies. Does that, however, then bolster the case for Joseph Matunjwa, who we'll hopefully chat to a little bit later, to say, well, profits have gone up. You've given shareholders all these profits. What about us, the workers? See, I think you need to be in a situation where you've got a fixed salary and then you have a, almost a bonus structure based on the good times. Because yeah. there's no doubt that uh, late 2008, 2007, around about there when platinum prices were, I think it almost got as high as $2,000 mm. uh, an ounce, uh, the companies the were printing cash. So in periods like that, shareholders wouldn't even notice if uh, a bit went off uh, to the workers and you, you invest potentially in housing or something along those lines. But on the condition that during the bad times, there's no expectation that that money flows. And that's where the problem lies, is mm-hmm. once you start paying these extra bonuses, people get accustomed to it. You start booking your holidays in advance. Yeah. Uh, you start spending it before you have it. And then when the money doesn't flow, there's disappointment. So it's it's about, I think, uh, lining up expectations. Um, and I don't know how you do that as management. Despite then the, the potential gains or the gains that we're sort of seeing even from a low base for the likes of Anglicold, the Shanti, or uh, um, you know, the Platinum counters doing fairly well, would BHP Bulletin be a better bet considering their earnings as well, which came out yesterday? Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, they're obviously more, um, they're, they're general miner, so they've got yeah. a few things that they focus on, and that means that you, you have less volatility. The stock itself has been a lot less volatile than the major uh, gold or Platinum counters. Uh, Billiton's still making a lot of money. Uh, just paid that special dividend, what was it, a month ago, I think, after they sold their U.S. Uh, oil assets. Mm. Um, so it's at Vestact, we don't own any of the resource companies um, because we've seen these cycles and private clients, uh, as much as they say they've got the stomach for it, 95% don't have the stomach for it. Mm. So you steer away from uh, the cyclicalities uh, that link to these stocks. So even the the fact that the mining charter came on board is still not enough? Again, boom and bust. You know, it's uh, it's a case of uh, your industry's working actively to try use less resources. Yeah. So you're selling something that the globe wants to use less of. So what is if you Warren Buffett's test? If the stock market closed today for seven years, would you want to hold this stock? I don't know if I'd want to hold a miner for seven years because between now and seven years' time, lots can change on the global economy. You can either have a slump in growth, you can have a major shift away from platinum, for example, yeah. which we saw the reason the platinum price is down so much is the VW scandal. People are moving away from diesel cars to petrol cars, and petrol cars use palladium over platinum. So you get these shifts in demand and supply, and it's very difficult for miners to... to uh, uh, play catch up yeah look michael we'll continue our chat and a whole lot of other stuff of course coming to the fore and we'll unpack a whole lot of it a little bit later on as well but right now let's get into those budget expectations every morning arabile gomede and Anastasia aronsa on classic business breakfast with MoneyWeb. So 14 minutes after 7, Finance Minister Tito Mbuweni will deliver his maiden budget speech uh, to the nation this afternoon at 2 p.m. And we already know that we have an election around the corner and the country is clinging to its last investment grade rating. While on the other side, economic growth continues to disappoint. So the stakes remain high this afternoon. But to talk to us about her expectations is uh, Alna Mulman, who's a senior economist at Standard Bank. Alna, thank you so much for your time. What are some of the things you're going to be looking out for as uh, Finance Minister Tito Mboweni takes to the podium? 
Good morning. Yes, so I think there are two broad issues to look at. So the one is just the normal underlying fiscal story. So what has been happening to revenues? You've mentioned the weaker growth. Are seeing that in revenues and how big is that shortfall? We think it could be modest, so around $7 billion. And then also, interestingly, it seems as if there might be significant understanding by government. We think it could be bigger than that revenue shortfall, so around $15 billion. So perhaps the fiscal story itself might look reasonable. And then the second dimension would be the SREs and, of course, specifically ESCOM. In other words, in what format will government provide support to ESCOM? It's inevitable it would have to do something. So the format and then the magnitude, I think that there could be enough money left from that underspending and revenue balance to do something, if not to ESCOM, then the other SREs. On the tax side, are you expecting any changes? Nothing. So I think that that signal was reasonably clear in the NTVPS. They signaled that with you do the usual inflationary increases in syntaxes, for example, the fuel levy would probably also increase in line with inflation. Nothing more than that. And one could see it as budget right ahead of elections and therefore reluctance to increase taxes. But I think government is also very cognizant of the fact that if I just look at, for example, personal income tax, that ratio to total income tax for the aggregate consumer is now the highest in two decades. So I do think we've reached the point where government is not going to push that any further and rather going to fix things such as make sure that it gets all of the revenues that's due to it. In terms of the ratings agencies, I mean, I think the state-owned entities, particularly ESCOM, is the big one they might be looking out for. Are you hoping to hear that comprehensive plan when it comes to ESCOM? I know President Sul Ramaphosa has hinted on it over the past few weeks that we might actually get a clear indication as to how to deal with ESCOM. I'm not sure that the budget would be the place to announce that the comprehensive plan. I think the budget will probably reflect to it again and then maybe talk about the finances and what government can do and maybe other forms of support, etc. So I think we'll only hear that. I think there's only a significant risk that Moody's will downgrade us if we go the proposed route of giving ESCOM a $100 billion debt transfer at this stage when we don't have like a credible, detailed turnaround plan. Alna, thank you so much for your time this morning. That's Alna Mulman, who's a senior economist at Standard Bank. You can go to the Money website, and I do know we have a dedicated coverage of what's going to be happening. Hashtag Budget 2019. You can look at a whole host of uh, articles that MoneyWeb journalists uh, will be looking at. Michael, can I bring you into the conversation for this one? You spoke about, uh, you know, the opening joke being one of the good ones. But um, the one thing that would you think might actually be a risk factor if, I suppose, um, Mr. Mbowini doesn't say the right things? Yeah, I think the the main thing that people will be looking at is what are we going to do with the SOE debt? Yeah. And that's not only ESCOM. Obviously, ESCOM is the most pressing. But where does that debt go? Because I mean, uh, in the news segment before our show, uh, we had Praveen Gordon say, look, listing all the problems at ESCOM. And it's basically the, the thing's almost insolvent. If, sharehold, if or shareholders being a taxpayer here don't step in, then uh, you've got serious issues that entity is going to cease to exist. So that's I think that's the key thing. 
I'm interested to see where he pushes the the boundaries on raising more more uh, tax. Um, I do think there'll be tax hikes, but it's not going to be your more direct uh, income tax. I think it's yeah. uh, your more subtle ones that people don't notice directly. Unfortunately, uh, fuel tax is probably on there. Uh, remember that the road accident fund is also basically insolvent, so that's going to need more money. Um, so yeah, petrol going up as well. Not great to not great to hear. All right, uh, Michael is still with us throughout the show. Let's have a look at traffic. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. It's 7.21, so let's get into another important issue. And it seems that with uh, a budget coming up, of course, later today, uh, Didumboweni's focus may indeed be on the state-owned enterprises. But you know, a large portion, if not the largest portion of South Africa's budget, still goes to education. And a lot of this uh, may be put particularly to the wayside as we head into today's budget. Um, and we, we, that may be a fear because if this is indeed put by the sidelines, it, it could hurt things a whole lot further and it could creep up on South Africa um, and, and perhaps you know, cause a, a big rift uh, a little bit later on or over the medium term around 3.8 billion rand is meant to be allocated to the school infrastructure backlogs grant will replace around 82 inappropriate and unsafe schools and provide water to 325 schools and sanitation to around 286 schools as well. So let's talk about the budget as well, its basic education allocation uh, and just how this is all now going to work. We have in studio Kayan Diai, who is the Stakeholder Relations and Comms Manager at Kahiso Shanduka Trust. Thank you so much for, for your time as well this morning. Let's talk about where exactly this allocation goes to. What does, you know, the money that, that we see going to education, we keep saying, you know, we provide so much for education, but we sometimes don't see the benefits. Is there a particular reason for that as well? Thank you, Arabile. Of course, um, the largest budget um, goes to salaries in the Ministry of mm. Education. And of course, what that means is that uh, the rest of the needs, which are infrastructure development, your educator capacitation, um, and everything else, then gets the, 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 the lowest share mm. um, after salaries are paid. But we are excited as a sector in that we do think that um, education has been prioritized. And um, even though uh, we are still short, because a large portion, as I was saying, goes to salaries and then allocated uh, to other areas like National School Nutrition Program grants mm. also um, have a need. But one thing that we think that communities need to be cognizant of, though, is the protection of schools, that is the safety and security. Yeah. Because often uh, service delivery protests um, often affect schools in that they become the targets of vandalism. And what that means that then is that budget must be allocated now to expand on maintenance of the schools. And uh, it means that we must refinance uh, uh, areas that have previously been fin- financed. Mm. The theft doesn't really, really ha- help. But I think that the allocation for education has been fairly prioritized. Mm. I want to talk about a, a particular element that we harp on a lot. Even on this show, we've spoken about it. And that's the fourth industrial revolution. And only the only reason I say that is because... We want to have students that are going to be able to take on jobs in that fourth industrial revolution space. So we need to obviously educate uh, our, our, our young ones quite vehemently. At the same time, it means that the teachers themselves need to be educated in that space too. Is it difficult for us to get 
to that space where we're starting to educate our teachers to help for the fourth industrial revolution because we have such a massive backlog with regards to things like infrastructure. Look, um, there's an opportunity, we think, to strengthen discussions and collaborations uh, between private sector and um, the Department of Education. The private sector does need to inform uh, the public sector on what uh, what to focus on in terms of skills to inform the needs of the fourth industrial revolution. You will have heard the president did speak um, about digitalizing uh, the schooling environment, the learning environment. And as you are saying, though, that the educators in that process will need to be capacitated in order to be able to deliver in that kind of environment themselves. Mm -hmm. The infrastructure within the schools as it is now is not necessarily up to speed to deliver on that, but we want to get there to that fourth industrial revolution. The budget is there, but it must just align itself to what does it take to be able to deliver on it. I mean, issues of connectivity in schools is still a challenge. Is- issues of access to electricity is yes. still is still a, a, a challenge. And all of those things impact how do we make it on the journey to fulfilling the demands of the fourth industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. So those are still priorities that still need to be given further attention within the budget, we think. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned that, yes, the, the salaries are the biggest portion of that uh, of that budget allocation, but what are we what are we doing wrong? You know, we we're saying that yes, we're giving money to all these uh, infrastructure needs and the like, right? We're trying to drive as much as possible to the teachers' education and training and the like as well. But it just seems that we aren't matching up to our our African counterparts and our African uh, uh, you know uh, leaders as well. Why? What are we doing wrong as a country? Look, more than doing anything wrong, Arabile, I would think that we just need to realign our priorities within the education sector. I I do think that given our history as a country um, and and, and the demands that uh, education has, we just need to realign our priorities, Mm. we think. Look, there is nothing that you can do in a school if there isn't basic infrastructure. Yeah. We need to prioritize. Fortunately, the president uh, did announce in his sonar that infrastructure development within the school is a key priority. So we are really hoping that the minister will allocate or will give us details in that in that area as to how are we then going to address the issues of infrastructure in the schools. We cannot either do much with learners who are hungry in their stomachs, which means that the nutrition program in the education sector is going to have to be realigned as well so that it speaks to what it is that we want to achieve in the education sector. So more than doing anything wrong, I just think that we need to rethink how to allocate the little that's left in the budget. We need to strengthen partnerships with private sector private partnerships in order to be able to meet government somewhere halfway Mm, mm. so that they can meet their challenges. Mm. Okay, so we want to meet all those challenges. We want to meet all our goals. We want to make sure that people are ready for the fourth industrial revolution and the like as well. We try to get policies in place, training, etc. Do we have the political will to ensure all of these things happen right now? And and perhaps are you happy with the amount of political will happening? That's one. And two, very quickly, what would make you very happy with regards to today's budget being read out by Ditombaweni? What what's the one element that if he speaks about this, you would indeed say he indeed at least tried to tackle the issues as much as possible? Um Arabile, 
I'll answer that one very quickly, that we do think that there is political will to strengthen education in the country. Mm. That we have no doubt about. Now, as to what it is that we expect to hear from the Minister of Education, I think he must just balance the numbers. Uh, I think that he has the tightest fiscus to work with in ever in, in the history of the country. Mm. But we still need to hear the details that stream off the President's sonar speech that he made. The public sector is under pressure for sure. Mm. But education-wise, we are waiting to hear what exactly is government going to be doing pertaining to safety and security in schools, infrastructure, digitalizing the, the classroom, how exactly is that going to be achieved? I mean, the, the global competitive index does show a strong correlation between the quality of education and the overall competitiveness of an economy. Mm. And if we are serious about fixing the economy, it means we must be serious about fixing education. Yeah. So that detail is of prior importance to us. Yeah. A big number as well continues to be given uh, to basic education, not just over this year, but indeed over the medium term as well. Uh, Makaya, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it this morning. Uh, Kaya Ndai is the Stakeholder Relations and Comms Manager at Kahiso Shanduka Trust. As we just chat about the budget and its basic allo- education allocation, and even though we do have uh, problems within our SOEs, it's very important to still make sure that we do the things that we set out to do uh, um, as a country from the onset. Thank you so much for your time. 7.30, your news headlines. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronson on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. At 7.31, Banang Mahalo, the CEO of Business Leadership South Africa, says the success of uh, this afternoon's budget speech will depend on the degree to which it supports Sir Ramaphosa's State of the Nation commitments. So what does business expect from Finance Minister Tito Mbueni's budget? And to talk to us about it is the man himself, Banang Mahale. Thank you so much for your time. Let's start off with, in what way will you be able to measure the success of this afternoon's uh, budget speech? Thank you very much for having me. Uh, First of all, I think we are absolutely emboldened that we have a president that understands the issues, the Minister of Finance who really is in tune with what needs to be done. As business, we will feel very comfortable if the Minister of Finance can balance two issues, reduce the deficit that was in excess of 50 billion last year, mostly because of SARS bad management. Secondly, we are hoping that he's going to be helped by some of the departments that have underspent because at least it puts the money back into the fiscal, even though in terms of service delivery, this is actually undesirable. But it talks to the fact that we have put people in local municipalities that have no capacity to be able to deliver the requisite uh, service levels. Thirdly, the things that business is expecting is first and foremost to stop the bleeding because we have been hemorrhaging in excess of 100 billion rands on average a year every year purely out of state capture, out of corruption, out of bribery, stealing and cheating. So before we do anything else, we need to close the bottom of this leaking bag, bucket. Um, The second thing that business is expecting is to fix ESCOM. ESCOM is emblematic of the more than 700 state-owned enterprises and state-owned companies. At the moment, the debt of ESCOM is in excess of $491 billion, 
which then means this debt is permanent. There is no way that ESCOM has the abilities and capabilities to trade itself out of this mess that has been put into by the previous regime, the nine wasted years. The, the third thing that I think we are expecting is the Minister of Finance to address our inordinately high levels of debt. We are borrowed to the hilt at 53% debt to, to GDP ratio. And this excludes the guarantees that government has given to state-owned enterprises. When you include that, our debt to GDP ratio is approaching 70 percentage points. That in and of itself is not such a big problem, except our ability to repay this debt is actually quite high. Part of ESCOM's challenge is they're borrowing money just to service the interest because the revenue has come down, the demand has come down, and yet the prices are incessantly going up. This is a typical debt trap and indeed the debt trap that they can't get themselves out of. We're also expecting the Minister of Finance to address the bloated cabinet of President Matamela Cyril Ramaphosa, the bloated um, government, uh, but also the bloated uh, full-time employees in all the state-owned enterprises. As that too many. To give an example, in 2007, ESCOM's uh, total number of employees was 32,000. Now it's 48,000. Their number of executives moved from 8 to 20. Now in excess of 80, something needs to be done. This is a time where, as a country, we need to realize that we are in a financial crisis. Mm. Therefore, this is not the time for us to be beholden and to pay allegiance to our political parties, nor are we going to be held hostage to our ideologies. Therefore, government is going to take pain. Business is going to take some pain. Labor must be willing to take some pain because civil society is going to take some pain in paying more tariffs uh, in terms of electricity. Um, that, unfortunately, is the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Lastly, I think we need to be also mindful of the fact that Minister Tito Mbeweni must tell us where we are going to find the money for this fee-free higher education that was just dumped on us without any thoughtfulness, any planning. And we are estimating that about 20 billion uh, for the young uh, learners that ought to be given a chance to go to institutions of higher learning, thereby improving their chances of not only existing, but living and indeed surviving in the long term. Back to you. <laughs> right. But, um, but the question is, does uh, does President Sol Ramaphosa and his team and all the relevant stakeholders have the political will to deal with these issues that you've mentioned? And the one is the bloated, uh, you know, public sector. It's the issues around ESCOM. There's a lot of pushback from the labor unions. And those are the people we need to get to the party or we just need to do things, swallow the pill now. Uh, and take the short-term pain in order for our economy to be where it needs to be, you kind of get the feeling, and I don't know whether you see it as well, as though we are not all batting for the same team here. You see, Labour is caught up in what they used to do 50 years ago. At the moment, they're being fed just wrong information. For instance, they are taking the ITPs 
at ESCOM. IPPs cannot be more than 7% of our energy mix. The value of renewable energy has dropped by 90%. We are now paying half what it used to cost us uh, for renewable energy. And that's the very one that attacking at the time that the world is saying this is the cheapest form of renewable energy purely and simply because ideological death threats. Also, labor are caught up in the fact that ultimately the 48,000 uh, ESCOM employees will have to be reduced. And to them, they look at it as political suicide. But in the final analysis, labor in the 21st century must come up with innovative solutions that are in the best interest of South Africa Inc. Labor itself is in a spot of border. The total number of union members have shrunk. It has been torn apart by internal strife and indeed um, by competition. AMCO's emergence has really decimated Kosatu. When you look at their total numbers, they've moved from the private sector to being largely in the public sector. Most of their members are on average 40 years old. Young people that can think for themselves are better educated are not joining unions. And that's the dilemma they have to front. And the best way of confronting it to sit around the table with all social partners to say, how do we act in the best interest of South Africa to increase confidence, to make sure that we don't get a rating agency downgrade, to focus on the commitments that we all made when we went to the World Economic Forum in Davos. We made five commitments uh, to the investment community, um, uh, to the financiers, and to analysts. One was that we are going to all make sure that this economy grows. Number two, we are going to fix ESCOM. Number three, we are going to fix all the government institutions that have been raided and absolutely decimated by the nine lost years of the previous regime. The last two, we said we are going to encourage foreign direct investment. The target is 100 billion US dollars. It must be fronted. Um, by domestic direct investment of another hundred billion rand, because if we did that, yeah. there's a chance that our economy can actually attract four percentage points of FDI. Lastly, we are entering into debates that are frankly not helpful. Mm. We are questioning the mandate and the independence of the South African Reserve Bank. That's the very thing that the rating agencies are looking at the independence of the South African Reserve Bank. And the people who do that are the people who are not even read the Constitution. Because our Constitution talks about the South African Reserve Bank deriving its mandate directly from the Constitution, not from the executive. Right. And it talks about a balanced and sustainable growth. But the people are saying, no, the mandate must now address growth. It is already included in the mandate mm. of the South African Reserve Bank. So I think as South Africans, we need to be much more thoughtful, yeah. much more purposeful and deliberate. We are in a crisis. People are not earning what they used to earn yesterday. Mm. They can't sell their houses. They can't afford basic services. They cannot take their children to school. They cannot afford the health um, costs. This is time for us to 
all tighten our belt and have critical, crucial, but nonetheless courageous conversation. Banang, uh, we'll have to leave it there, and I'm sure we'll catch up with you perhaps tomorrow to hear your thoughts on uh, Finance Minister Tito Mbuwene's budget delivery this afternoon. That's Banang Mahale, who is the CEO of Business Leadership South Africa. A little late, but uh, let's have a look at traffic. Every morning, Arabile Gumede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. So, doesn't matter which way you look at it, things are certainly very difficult. And 2019 is going to continue to be a year of that sort. So, of course, there are things that we try to mitigate risks, uh, mitigate against, rather, there those risks as well. Christopher Palm, the Chief Risk Advisor at the Institute of Risk Management South Africa, uh, says that, uh, indeed, things can be difficult. And they see innovation to invitation, rather, to business, government, the public, and risk professionals to work together to solve challenges in the economy and build a better society for the future could certainly be on our in the mix for 2019 but let's talk about what the risks are for this year sadly it does look like a bad news story and it's uh, you know sentiments and things that are of course bad for the nation so the top 10 risks for the country uh chris thank you so much for your time this morning uh, if we can talk about those those are those are really you know things that we've perhaps known for quite some time nothing different here Yes, good morning, Arabile. Good morning, Nastasia. Um, indeed, I think you summed it up um, very accurately in as far as these risks, the top 10, if you look at them, very few. As a matter of fact, from a country perspective, the energy price shock is probably the only one that's made the radar. Over the last, UNSA uh, has been doing this report since 2015. So over the last four years, we're in the fifth edition now. Over the last four, five years, um, the risks of unemployment, uh, income disparity, failure of governance, and the balance of the top 10 uh, has been with us, um, you know, um, since then, yes. Yeah, if we if we take a look at those, if we start naming perhaps those uh, top 10 risks the country is facing, particularly for 2019, structurally high unemployment, over 37%, yeah. particularly for the expanded definition of unemployment, growing income disparity and inequality. You know, the, the sentiment has always been that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. It, 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 mm-hmm. it continues to be the sentiment now. Failure of governance in the public sector. We're seeing that with the likes of ESCOM, the SAAs and, and whatnot as well. The leadership and the inner, uh, inability to manage funds there. Unmanageable fraud and corruption. State capture just speaks about it. All these issues. Energy price shock. Labor unrest and strike action. That's uh, happening as well. National policy uncertainty. Cyber attacks. Macroeconomic development or the lack thereof when you consider that growth isn't even happening. All these things are things we've known for, let's just say, what, a decade perhaps? And we still haven't gotten down to how we're going to fix them. Yes. So this year, um, when you look at the IMSA South Africa Risk Report, we've actually done a further analysis. We call it a consequence and, and causal relationship analysis. And we've identified what we believe are drivers. Now, drivers in the risk space, are those risks that also are causes to creating new risks. So I'm going to share some of those with you now. Mm. But what's important is out of that, we then also identify pivots. Now, what is critical about a pivot is that these are risks, and, and in the risk fraternity, we call them low-hanging fruit, things that we can fix 
that are so powerful that if they change, we change the entire system. And these then lead to a couple of outcomes. Now, um, we've released the report in ebook um, and in hard copy, mm. um, so I won't be referencing to a page, but you'd find it in the report. So, um, and it's a very good read because there's another big element to this that I'll share once I've uh, just worked through the table. So the drivers that we're looking at, risks that are risks by themselves, but also causing significant impact onto the system within South Africa, skill shortage, the ability to attract and retain top talent, fraud and corruption, failure of governance, lack of leadership, and so on. There are six of those captured in the report. Now, if we can then look at the pivots and we can address these pivots, the outcome, you can feel in unemployment, there will be less labor unrest, income disparity will be positively addressed, our country's brand and our reputation will improve, we will certainly um, minimize fraud and corruption, or at least then at, get that under control. We'll see the effects in the microeconomic space, um, and as well as uh, shrinking this whole social disparity gap that we have. So what are those pivots? Firstly, leadership, and we've seen some great strides in that space. Mm -hmm. Governance. People are starting to be held accountable for the decisions they take. The impact of the micro macroeconomic developments. If we can start looking into the future and preempt these things, for example, the energy price shocks and the like, then we can start building resilience in responding to those. Clarity on government policy, focused brand and reputation management, sure. lessening the political uncertainty. I mean, all of those pivots, and they're not a lot. Yeah. We are talking about seven of those that if we focus on addressing them, you know, the outcome would be so, so powerful. Indeed. But this okay. is, I just want to leave you, Arabella, with one, just the, so this sure. report, this report, we, we, we close off the report late November in 2018 so that we can release it January, February 2019. And this was done then. And what I had done on the state of the nation, the goals, I call it goals and risks, but there are also so many opportunities locked into that. Mm. I looked at the five drivers that were shared. And you know what? There is such a close proximity of the risk report 2019 and what was shared in the, in the SONA. Um, we just are very proud that that, that happened to, to turn out that way. Mm. Um, and I think there's value in, in uh, looking at this report and see if we can accommodate that in the budget. Yeah. Wow. Well, Look, it's not all doom and gloom, but it certainly isn't looking pretty. So certainly hope that the picture does get better. Christopher Palm, Chief Risk Advisor for, at the Institute of Risk Management, uh, South Africa, talking about the top 10 risks South Africa faces in 2019. Appreciate your time. Very quickly, wanted to just touch on some other news that we perhaps just missed as well. Just taking a look at uh, some news out yesterday. It came at around 6.30 or so, and that was just Moody's. They decided to downgrade Sibanye Stillwater to BA3, uh, and they, they say that the action reflects Moody's view of increasing downside risk for Sibanya Stillwater's credit profile uh, as a result of challenging operating conditions in South Africa and increasing refinance risks for the company uh, as its 6 billion rand revolving credit facility matures in November 2019. So it isn't all just roses. It, it certainly is a tough time for Sibanya Stillwater there, Michael. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, they took on uh, quite a bit of debt when they bought Stillwater. Um, and, uh, 
Sibania traditionally has always had a very good relationship with the unions that they've uh, operated with, which is one of the reasons why the market liked them was because they felt that the risk of labor issues was a lot lower. Mm. And obviously, that's uh, very much changed uh, since uh, November uh, last year. And uh, now with uh, AMCU calling for a total shutdown of the mining industry, it's uh, uh, it's even more pressing, and it highlights the risks involved with uh, mining locally. And that's it's something that our president is trying to change: is the perception of the risk uh, locally. Mm. Uh, you know, the, while it, Moody's also says then that while it is not their base case, the ratings agency uh, does believe that Sabanya Stillwater could be exposed to further event risks in the near future as a result uh, of the currently challenging labor environment. And, I mean, that just points out exactly uh, things happening there. Of course, with AMCU declaring uh, that there should be a disinvestment in Sibanya Stillwater. You think investors will take this seriously and perhaps begin to disassociate themselves with Sibanya just based on comments from the CEO, Neil Froneman? No, I think that uh, one of the main reasons that you want to own Sabania at the moment is for their U.S. assets. Uh, Mm. That's obviously separate to the South African assets. There's a lot less, a lot lower labor risk involved. It's more mechanical mine, and it's that got that palladium to platinum mix that everyone wants. So uh, that asset management is expecting that they could potentially pay it off within three years. Um, which would make it uh, a very good turnaround. There's no doubt that uh, buying Sabani at the moment is a very big play on uh, platinum prices um, because they have shifted from gold to platinum, even though they've still got the gold assets, but they're becoming less uh, significant in their life. Yeah, we we are uh, supposed to be speaking to Joseph Matunja, the president of AMCU. He certainly isn't answering his phone. It's, um, I must say, it's not the first time, however, so we we ask hold of him. So I read uh, AMCU's uh, press release, the one that is calling for disinvestment into um, Sabanya Stillwater. And if you read the the context of what he's saying here, parts of it is sort of borderline defamatory, the way he, it's like he's low-key accusing unions such as Noom of siding with with Sabanya. Yeah. But it's the way, I mean, the words that he uses, this one line that uh, I'll try and find it here that really, I think it just caught me off because it's it's not normal for us to speak like this. Yeah. Uh, that's my personal view, but um, yeah, I'll try to locate that particular line, but it's just... Yeah, I mean, one of the yeah. other lines here in the in the statement, he, he goes on to, to say, Num has clearly lost its cause that it had before it is no longer representing the plight of the working class, but rather promoting and protecting the interests of the economic beneficiaries of apartheid and colonization. It has become crystal clear that Noom yes, loves that their is the masters. One. Like, I mean, can you believe that? Loves their masters yeah, like from... It, it has become crystal clear that the NUM loves their masters like Froneman more than Froneman loves himself. Those are, those are massive words there. They, they are. So I would have loved to talk to him for him to clarify why he believes Noom is, you know, doing this. Mm. Look, I think it would have been very, very difficult to, to actually get uh, an actual understanding of what it is that has gone wrong. What is it? You know, why is there a continued breakdown with regards to uh, these, uh, these negotiations as well with, with salaries and the like in the gold sector, which now 
has obviously been uh, been pushed to the platinum sector as well. Well, platinum uh, group for for Sibanya Stillwater by Amku, and they're calling that um, we may even decide to shut down South Africa's mining industry because of the things happening out at Sibanya Stillwater. So, it, it's one to certainly look out for, and hopefully, uh, Mr. Matunja will get back to us and and really detail his thoughts so we can actually have a fair representation here and give him right of reply. Some of the other uh, companies making headlines, and I thought we should touch on this, is Capitec share price. That's been uh, pushed to a record high on Tuesday. That uh, gained 77% from a new from a low it reached back in 2018. Of course, that was on the back of that uh, Viceroy report. Um, really scathing as well, saying that the company was perhaps in a whole heap of trouble. The group has now shaken off those accusations that it was indeed fudging and, and changing the books. Uh, the share price reaching a record high now of 1,251 rand and 70 cents yesterday before, of course, closing, however, just eight-tenths of a percent to the good at 1,244. A good business for you, Michael? Yeah, I mean, uh, during the financial crisis, you could have bought them at 18 rand a share. That's uh, not bad, hey? Sure. Um, we've, it's, we consider Capitec is the one that got away. Um, it currently trades on a multiple about 30, which is three times the banks in South Africa. So do you feel that Capitec three times the other banks are uh, bringing their disruptive nature? There's definitely uh, argument to be made. Um, but as they shift to different business uh, segments, they are going to need more capital, which makes them slightly less profitable. Um, but what really interests me is that Viceroy thing. You remember when Viceroy mm. came out, the share dropped from a thousand rand. I think it actually reached an intraday low of about 750 yeah. rand. It's yeah. now up more than 50% since then. Um, I truly hope Viceroy are still short and I hope they are <laughs> doubling down on that short as well. Um, but it shows you the, the power that fear had over the market. Um, it yeah. was back when even if there's a rumor that Viceroy was covering your company, it, it tanked. I mean, we saw Aspen tank, we saw I think some of the property stocks tank before we even knew what was happening there. And all these things were rumors that Viceroy was targeting them. It wasn't even any fact. Um, but now that uh, they've been proven wrong with Capitec, uh, I think you can say Viceroy safely on the radio and people don't crash their cars. Yeah, like luckily for now. Also, look at this, EOH, right? Uh, <laughs> it seems that their fall and their series of reputational ro- uh, uh, knocks have now made them fall you know, and have a meltdown that now rivals Steinhoff. That's that's what we're equating EOH's fall to now. That share price falling another 16.4% just yesterday to 14 rand and 61 uh, cents. It has now plunged 92% from the highs that it reached in late 2016. It's scary. Uh, there's nothing been proven wrong. In the case of Steinhoff, there's actual fraud that happened. Mm-hmm. They were cooking the books. They lied about what their assets were worth. They were lying about the profits they were making. In the ca- case of EOH, that isn't what's happened. I mean, there's rumors of uh, uh, issues, uh, rumors of fraud, but nothing's been proven. And uh, so investors are saying, we're skittish. Uh, we're going to sell now, ask questions later. And uh, the stock, I think, trades on a PE of six now. It's uh, almost nothing for a group that considers uh, itself to have high growth potential. Mm. All right. Well, that's all the news we have time for. Uh, it closes out the show again this Wednesday. Good luck for budget day, Tash. Yeah, I'll be listening very closely. So, yeah. We'll talk about it soon enough. Indeed, Michael, thank you again for the time. Of course, you get to close out the show by telling us just what the time is. It's goodbye from myself and Tash. Goodbye. It's 8 o'clock.